Welcome to the Junction City Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Martinez. With me in the virtual octagon, to my Miles. Yeah, there you go. The man with the master plan. Mr. I'm Kobe. John Miles. Oh, yeah. We're done with you, John. I'm talking about <laughs> third in line. Third John in line Miles. to Mr. Wildcat. To be Mr. Weaver State? No, Mr. Wildcat. No, there's no Mr. Wildcat's not a thing. Mr. Weaver State is the thing. Whatever. Oh, I don't know. It's Kobe Peterson. Yeah, I think I, I like Mr. Wildcat better. I've never heard of this, but whatever. Uh, and I even went to this school. Uh, on today's show, we sat down with Dave Wade, Fire Chief Dave Wade, uh, to talk about the recent fire in North Ogden. Uh, and spoilers, things got a little heated. But uh, true, yeah. Things on the mountain got heated. Fine, whatever. I got Kobe. We're supposed to tease the interview so that they're like, "Wait, what? What happened? John yeah, was, was an good. asshole. John was an asshole. Oh my god!" Yeah, <laughs> no one's surprised by that. Nobody. Uh, but first, the show. Oh yeah, we're gonna do some pinkies up, thumbs down. Um, no polls again. Kind of sad days, but uh, but first. What's the hap haps? What y'all been doing? Man, I've been off the show for two weeks now. Man. Yeah. Have I too? Last week you weren't on. Yeah. Everyone was on. Our good friend Kevin Lindell. Yep. Yeah. He was on. RC Fit. RC Fit. I love the name, by the way. Right? Because I was like, how is he going to take? Because CrossFit was such a big part of the name, but RC Fit. Go digging visit it. those folks, RC Fit. Go, go visit them and and lose that Corona weight. Well, dude, I got it. It's it's a real thing. Same here. Look, I mean, you're not seeing the videos, but I got, it's all like double chins and and then. Oh, speaking of double chins, also Shane Shane Forrester was on the show. <laughs> oh man, that ice cold. Uh, but yeah. So so what have you been doing? Uh, let me just. Uh, I'm gonna open with telling you guys what I've been doing this week. Um. If you follow me on social media at all, uh, you saw that. Oh, you're on Facebook? Actually, yeah. I spent some time off of Facebook and really did some soul searching, but I'm back on now. Uh, and so uh, what we've been doing is we've been watching scary movies, right? Uh, my daughter has taken a liking to this whole thing. I, but see, I, I have a theory that she doesn't really like watching the scary movies. She just likes uh, uh videoing me my reaction to the scary movie because that's what she's been posting on her social media uh a couple of things i posted where i'm just like oh yeah those just i would love to see this there was one where we were watching uh lights out the short story it's like a, a short video a short a horror film it's two minutes long scary shit man uh but i i got so scared i scared my wife she got scared by my reaction anyway uh, it's good stuff. You should go if you're not friends with me. What are these horror I, movies? I want to know what, what shows. So we've been watching. So she doesn't really get scared. My my daughter doesn't really get too scared about these movies, but we recently watched Paranormal Activity, right? Yeah, and that I've seen it. That movie, when it first came out in like 2007 yeah, or something, uh, me and my little sister watched it. We had to we had to pray the rosary we said our prayer we went and watched the comedy after because we were so scared out of our minds scared right because it was very much of um the uh blair witch project right where it was like found footage and like you didn't really know if it was true or not or like this thing actually happened but uh 
Yeah, that that movie actually scared my daughter. Uh, I had to I had to let her know that spoilers if you guys didn't know, paranormal activity is not real. But um, we watched like The Conjuring. Uh, I just wanted to say we recently watched La Llorona, mm-hmm. and I was very disappointed. Wasn't good. Oh, I mean, it was good. It's a good movie, but I mean, it was all right. It just wasn't like, in my mind, the Yorona is like, is is too scary to even talk about. So like she, a movie about it. It was weird because the movie was set in Los Angeles. And like, I get it. It's a heavy, heavily dense, uh, or densely populated with Latinos and stuff. But I don't know. To me, the movie felt kind of flat. Like there's, there's jump scares and everything, but like if you really want to make a Yorona movie, what you do is you do like uh like a creek or something, you know, like a river. Yeah, she lures you that, to the creek, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, that yeah. shit's fucking drowns scary. You. Sorry, yeah. effing scary, man, and drowns you exactly. But yeah. this one was just kind of like eh, it was all over the place. So, but anyway, but that's what I've been doing. What about you, Kobe? Uh, let's see. This week, uh, Maddie's brother was in town, so Hallie finally got to hang with the cousins. She was really happy about that. Um, my brother-in-law is a really active guy, so uh, we ended up helping. He decided he wanted to rebuild my wife's parents' porch, so we did that. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, and then I was it was just Saturday yesterday. I was feeling not well, so I stayed home and I watched a bunch of stuff. I've been meaning to watch and. I don't, do you guys have the PBS app on your phone or like on your smart TV? No. It's such a nerdy thing for you to ask, but no. Are you freaking kidding me, dude? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so good. So they, uh, I like to watch Frontline. Frontline is one of my favorite things to watch. And there was an episode called Once Upon a Time in Iraq. And uh, when I was in undergrad, my capstone class was on Iraq, especially the Iraq War. And so the story was told, you know, from the point of view of people who had lived through the American occupation and, you know, the, the subsequent years that followed after the Americans leave in 2011 and the coming of ISIS and all of that. So Daesh, or as the, as the Iraqis say, the Wash, is how you say ISIS. But I watched that yesterday. And Can I just say, you're going to be a really good grandparent. Why is that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you just are, Toby. You just are. Go on. I'm sorry. Keep talking. And then, and then uh, as you guys probably heard, um, Representative John Lewis passed away on Saturday. Uh, yes. And so, uh, I watched, uh, this morning on the PBS app, I watched, they had, there was a documentary about him that had been released a couple of years ago. And, uh, so I watched that this morning and amazing guy, man. America lost a good one on Saturday. Truly I, amazing man. I love that rest in power. I, in power I, yeah, that's, that's cool. Uh, John, what have you been doing? I've, I like, I've been teaching my daughter to read, teaching my daughter to pole dance. As one does. That's about it. Yeah. You guys, my daughter can do splits on this pole vertically. It's it's pretty awesome. Wait, can do splits on the pole vertically. So like, like she puts a foot down here. Okay. And then a foot up here. <gasps> and she's like doing the splits. How does she stay up? Well, the te- you're pulling with your arms and you're pushing with your feet. Oh my god, that's gotta be so much work. Yeah. On your body. I was Holy so crap. impressed when she pulled it off. She's five. Core is money. Seriously. You going to yep. get her into gymnastics too? Yeah, she's in. Dude, she's going to do Simba. like the little. Wow, that's impressive. 
Yep, teach your daughters to pole dance, fellas. All right, I'm slacking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> where where Kobe's going to be a great grandparent, John? I just I don't know. John well, be a bad well, father. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're just a bad dad. Oh, wow. that's the next T-shirt. That's the next JCP shirt. Oh my God, dad. Print it. Print it. Wear that shirt. I want to get Sheena to wear that shirt. <laughs> <laughs> she would. She's going to have a maid. Oh my gosh. Brutal. Uh, so, on that note, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, uh, we're going to be talking with Chief Dave Wade. Actually, really quick before we take the break, remember tell your friends about us, like us on Facebook, share this, uh, this uh, podcast with your friends. Uh, we do a lot of we do a lot of this, and uh, we really want to build the channel, and Build the uh, build the listenership the community. Yeah, nice yeah. job. Yeah, it was a good God. break fake. Should do a break fake. Oh, every week. oh, oh, oh! You guys thought it was coming, and here it is. We're gonna go to break now. We'll be back with uh, Fire Chief Dave. Ashley Wolfius and the Elements of Real Estate are proud to support the independent local journalism of the Junction City Podcast. If you're buying or selling real estate, or if you need a certified residential appraiser, contact Ashley at theelementsofrealestate.com or by calling 801-391-8503. And we're back with our guest this week, Dave Wade, the Chief of the Northview Fire District. Welcome, Dave. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. Appreciate you letting me come on and talk about Northview Fire District. So, Yeah. Yeah, we had Jay Johnson on from the district about a year ago, and we talked about what a great guy you were, but uh, we always said we were going to get you back. <laughs> Took a fire to make it happen. Um, so how long have you been the chief of the district? I was made chief on uh, in September of uh, 2013. So seven okay. years just about. And and can you give us just kind of a quick idea of what that's like kind of in the day to day? I mean, I think people you're pretty well known in the community, I think, because you're out there, you do those tours, you do like parades and stuff, but what other, what other kind of stuff do you do? So I've been on the department I started in 1985 as a volunteer and I worked my way up through the organization. So I was promoted to deputy chief in 20, 2002 and then chief in 2013. So um, basically we're, uh, I work a 40 hour a week exempt employee, um, just project driven, basically whatever needs to get done. So some days are five hours, some are 10 hours, some are 20 hours. So, mm. and it's a pretty good, pretty good, pretty, pretty flexible that way. Um, but yeah, it's a re- very rewarding. Firefighting is a young man's game. And so uh, I tell everybody I drive a desk for a living now. And I've only, I've only run it in the ditch twice in, in, in 20 years, just about. So I feel pretty good about that. So, and, and yeah. so, I mean, like well, I guess what I'm getting at is, you know, we have this fire last week, uh-huh. and um, when something like that comes up, I assume you're on the phone right away, and like, what are the things that you've got to do right away when people start saying they see smoke up on the mountain? Yeah, we just, um, obviously, we just respond both stations, and then we get on the air and dispatch, dispatches the, the county also, um, the county and state lands, um, and we have a county fire wardens dispatched to that. And uh, he's the one that has all the resources as far as planes, helicopters, all that kind of stuff. So, 
But uh, we respond like any other call in our area, just wildland call. Um, get there, assess the situation, and then start um, formulating a plan of attack. And then uh, when they arise, we just kind of get, you can kind of order resources and, and get on what we need to get on to. So. Well, and I'm, I'm curious about the dispatching part of it because Sheena ended up calling, you know, I mean, it's, we have a pretty good view of it. So we called and by the time we did dispatch it, heard about it and, you know, I think was already all over it. So is there a point where calling maybe is counterproductive and. Uh, oh, I don't think you can. I think, I don't think so. I think it's better to call than not. Uh-huh. Uh, something like that. They're going to get a lot of calls at dispatch center. So, so the, we got the original call we got at the station here and our district clerk took the call. And so she told us and we self dispatched, we told her to call 911, which that she did so she can get information because she's that closer than we are to the fire. And um, so I'm sure they get inundated with a lot of calls when they uh-huh. say home a smoke like that. And it seems like in our area too, out in, out in uh, North Ogden, you can, we can sit through the whole valley. So it's pretty good. People are calling from not just our area, but from, Every, anywhere in the county, Roy, Ogden, South Ogden, stuff like that. So, and so, what is what is the response like? Like this, it started, I think, right right on the trail, right off the trail, right, right above and the so, road, yeah, by the power lines, yeah. So, and so you're pretty close to houses. There, you kind of got to get up and respond to it quickly. But uh, do you even have access to it, like with a fire truck or anything? There's the canal road. They jumped on top of that and got on the canal road pretty pretty quick. And then there's an open canal there. And then they just started, started running lines up up the um, um, south flank of the fire and uh, just trying to get a hold on that. Yeah. I see. So on that fire, we were trying to keep it going straight up instead of having it go to the north and the south. And then we didn't want it. We didn't want, depending on what the wind was going to do. But luckily, we, did, we had a pretty good weather that day for uh-huh. as far as wind is concerned. You don't want to. You don't want it coming back down and then getting into the houses and stuff like that. So, so we've got a board that you look at, and it has it's a laminated board and has all different benchmarks on it. And so we're always talking about evacuations, um, mm-hmm. you know, as we're going through the the process. So we didn't feel at that time when you really needed to do anything just because of the way the fire was going. And we knew we had helicopters and the airplanes that were ordered, so we felt pretty confident. We just wanted to keep it tracking north and, and trying to work on the north north and south flank of the fire so yeah um that was one of the things i mean we were watching that kind of lower line obviously to mm-hmm. see if it was coming down and it looked like maybe you guys like dug a trench there or something to prevent it from creeping down the mountain did that happen or did i i don't know they just they would work with hand, hand lines and and a, and a hose a, a, a wildland hose on that line so on the north side when the seat planes when this came with with the retardant he kind of laid a line from north to south down the mountain halfway on the fire and halfway off just to kind of give it a little bit of a buffer so that wouldn't so once it if it crossed to go further north that it would slow so that to burn down and then you can get the helicopters in there to start start working on it so yeah yeah so that was something that i thought was really fascinating watching them direct it like there were times when i thought they would try to prevent it from going toward a big patch when really they didn't do that they kind of dropped underneath it and then i could tell that they were pushing it up the mountain but they they eventually push it into those cliffs and then it was like they cornered it and like yeah that was that was impressive in a lot of these fire we we did a lot of training we did a lot of pre-planning so 
they were dipping out of out of Pine View Reservoir, secondary water reservoirs on the north side and the south side. So yeah. we have those GPS, and so as soon as we need to use them, we've already got agreements with Pine View. We just let them know, and then they monitor that, and then we can get right to work with with that uh, with dipping. And it was really nice on that fire because the proximity to those reservoirs is really close to the fire, so their turnaround time was very quick. So they were able to put a lot of water on the fire. I noticed that I was. Quickly, so. I kept wondering where they were going to pick it up from, and are those reservoirs there for fire purposes or are no they... they're, they're they're your secondary water pine view that you use oh. the water you want yeah mm. so they just yeah. dip into that huh so yeah we just dip into that and then pine view monitors that and they ask how long we're going to be and they, let, they can let more water in to fill it back up if, if needs be so mm. so, and, yeah. so i'm curious how much like uh panic is going on in the in the in the process here like at what point do people feel like We've got this under control and we we know we're where we're directing it and it's going like we think it is you know yeah first year's always because of the because of wildland firefighting of, of all the fires it's the most unpredictable so to me it's the hardest fire to fight just because of all the variables and especially weather uh -huh. and uh i was just thankful we didn't have any wind you saw what happened down in lehigh last week or two weeks ago and and saratoga springs where they just had those crazy winds and there's not a lot you can do once those have start happening all you can do with those is evacuate people and then try to try to formulate a plan to get on around the side of it and, and say like hey we're gonna we're gonna try to stop it here and do what you can so 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 on this fire it was uh um i felt good about um about where we were at and so um so my deputy chief Jeremiah Jones was actually he was the he was the IC in charge of that fire, mm -hmm. and then until the uh, county fire warden got there, then they did a joint command. He did a really good job. So, um, and I just kind of did some. I did was a support officer, so we just kind of communicate that together. But any kind of fire you get to as command, it's always it feels like it's really until the pieces start to come together, it just feels like it's kind of chaotic in your mind. There's all these different pieces going on. And then as soon as you establish like alpha or uh, different quadrants and get things set up, then it starts to smooth out a little bit. But well, it's always it, organized. It's always organized chaos right at first. That's what it feels like. I know it doesn't look like that, but that's what it feels like to us, even uh, after 35 years. But uh, And will it still feel like that at a structure fire? Or does that get kind of old hand at some point? Yeah, no, it, it still does. They're still right at first or still until you can get people in in place and get it all clear that nobody's in the house and get a, get a handle on get enough resources in there to start fighting and it always you always feel like that so huh yeah and so then i'm curious with the you guys directed the fire all the way to the top of the mountain it was like mm -hmm. up on the peak and then it was smoldering for like a day right. and uh i couldn't tell if it like flared back up or if it uh if that was just like the the smoldering process yeah so once we once it got past they put it out down below and it got up to the top they sent a hotshot crew up there by helicopter and then they dropped them off and they stayed overnight oh. so they spot the fire all night long and uh just kept working it so Dang. yeah those guys are good so there was somebody on the mountain for three days after that still fighting the fire so really after we got done 
Well, it makes sense what you said earlier, Dave, where you said it's a young man's game because, you know, roughing it up there close oh, to man. the top, that's uh, that's <laughs> tough ask, you know, when you're being, you're being asked to fight the fire on an incline like that, staying overnight, working long hours. That's for 20 year olds. Yeah, I just want to, <laughs> during this time of year, I have our guys, they, they do all their stuff in the morning and then I have them hunker down in the afternoon to hydrate and get ready to, you know, they're not doing much other than in the station doing some training, but uh, I don't have them doing a lot of other stuff just because I don't care how good a shape you're in, you're going to, uh, there's, there's that hydration factor and then just working hard on a, on a hill where it's 95 degrees and it's just, it tax it taxed you pretty quick no matter how how, how good a shape you think you're in so no, that's but it's an, it's an adrenaline rush for sure that's why people that's why firefighters a lot of us are all adrenaline junkies anyway and <laughs> so so it's a challenge obviously to go do those but it's it's, it's a rewarding job and, they, and our, our guys i got a great group of guys and they do a fantastic job like um, are, are your guys like fighting over getting to go up there like they want to be the one to head up there yeah, if there's a crew, if the crew, if there's a crew that was off duty, they're they're upset because they weren't on duty when this fire happened. Right. So better leave it like that. And how often do these kind of fires happen, like up in the foothills here in this area? Like I don't feel like I can remember one. Nah, I mean, the biggest ones we had, like we had, the, we had a pretty big one back in 1990, July of '90, and it started about 800 east and. Um, you know, 30, 3,500 north. And back then, that was just about, there wasn't much many much houses above that at that time. And so it started working its way to the northwest. And then a cold front came from the northwest and it pushed it down across to, towards the divide. Huh. And so that was probably the biggest one we've had in, since I've been here. So, yeah, yeah. So Dave, I wanted to ask, kind of wrap up that piece on the, the last fire that we just had. So they, they pushed the fire up toward the peak. Right. They sent in a hotshot crew to stay stay on the ground and continue to fight that fire. Mm-hmm. And then um, is there a point where they just say, you know, like, do they fight till it's out or do they fight till it's just like, you know, it's not going anywhere else? No, it's they'll fight it until it's pretty, until they can't have any, doesn't have any more flames and they'll do a a cold trail and make sure it's it's, it's out out so yeah so then, then it can't you know spread later anywhere else yeah yeah because like you don't want to have the weather change and then you're put the fires going over the hill and you're then you're having a problem over in Ogden valley with with fires so yeah because like, so. like you said with the traverse mountain fire the winds were a huge issue oh right? yeah so that, that, they were just pushing it pushing it and that's fuel right like uh, every time we start a campfire i always tell them uh, uh, a trick that I learned in scouts was got to have yourself a fan. You get yourself a fan, right. you can blow air on it, and that, that fire right. gets real hot, right? Right. And so yeah. you're trying to avoid that. And I mean, when usually, hopefully, you're you're at that point, you're you're in good shape. But they do a pretty good job of putting it out so that that can't happen. Right. Yeah. And and then yeah, but sometimes like that, Saratoga Springs fire. That was those winds were just crazy. Mm-hmm. They couldn't do a lot until they till they could you know till it got to different types of fuel. And, uh, and then they could try to make a stand there. So um, we actually did send crews down to that fire also from uh, from the, from Weber County. So we I sent a, we sent a crew from Northview down Ogden sent the engine. Weber we were fire district sent the engine and South Ogden sent the engine with Riverdale. So so yeah, if those kind of fires you you go out of re, you get out of resources pretty quick. And so um, yeah, we help we help whoever we can. So. 
And so they pull they pull those resources from other districts and say, hey, we could use some help and say, absolutely, yeah, yeah. love to come and help you. Yeah, mm, yeah. keep it in our so control. Works out well. So, and do they have a sense of what caused this fire? Do they know? Um, the preliminary, um, the preliminary account. It wasn't our fire to investigate, so but it was a, a Forest Service fire. Hmm. But the preliminary um, um, cause was it was accidental man cause. And um, so they had um, uh, Rocky Mountain Mountain uh, Power hires engineering companies to go up every so often and do whatever they do to their lines. And so they had a crew up there on side by sides and stuff. And I don't know if they sparked a rock or what happened, but that's where we're at. So, yeah, we'll see what happens when they push their final report out. That'll be in a few weeks. So Mm, I see. So, Dave, when they begin that process of investigating, because it feels like that's usually what happens once the fire's, you know, going, they say, okay, we need to find out how this happened. Does that happen um, once the fire's completely out, then they begin that process, or does it happen earlier? No, it started right away with, right away. They, yeah, the police can close dust, that we can, they can assist us. We can start getting statements from people, what they saw, start, we can start compiling evidence or, or statements, just like that, and see what we, what we can do to, to determine what it was, so... That's great. And then what's the relationship like with the, with the forest service? Is it pretty simpatico? You know, they know that you're there to help. Oh yeah. How, how's it work with them? Yeah, it works great. Um, so the, when we get there, there's the Northern Utah interagency fire center. And you guys are probably seeing it. It's down by point of the mountain, right by the prison, right before you start turning to go up. It's a red building, right, right on the, right on the right hand side as you're going south. Okay. And it'll see, yeah. And so that's, <clears throat> Once they get there, they can mess with that. They call the uh, Northern Utah, and then they can they can establish all the resources and stuff as far as planes and helicopters and stuff. So the fire that we had there, we had a helicopter from Tooele, and I think there was a helicopter from Salt Lake, and then they had one from um, somewhere in Davis County. So and then the seat planes, I'm not sure where they came from, but um, anyway, they can get them. They can get here pretty quick. So. Yeah, and so like you said, the first call came from it came to came, came to Northview, came to your station, and then from that point, I mean, you will have to determine like, okay, this is a unique fire because it's up on Forest Service land, and so then do you have to relay a call to them, or do you respond first and then just work no, out we, those other things on the back end? We respond and then dispatch is, is um, their contact and them right away at that time. So, so don't wait. Yeah, they're get out yeah, there. Get a job. They're dispatching at the same time, so everybody's getting called as we're as we're heading up there. So that's great. It probably took them. I don't know. We were well. The three alpha unit, the Weber County Fire Warden, he was there within um, ten minutes after we arrived. So yeah. it's a pretty good response. And then you had the helicopters, and uh, get, you know, start. They got there fairly quickly, also within twenty, I think, or twenty-five. So, and so, so did you say those counties? Those are the county's helicopters? No, no, just the Weber Fire Warden. Um, oh. he's, he's the one that shows up, and then he gets a hold of Northern Utah Inner oh. Fire Center, and then he can start ordering, ordering stuff that he needs. So I see. You order it from them. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. So, so Dave, what uh, what does the Forest Service have their own resources that they put into a fire like that, or they pretty much solely rely on the local folks to kind of help them out? Well, How, yeah, they have, they have resources once it gets to their land. They have uh, crews on engines, like four, four, four in, man engine companies. 
And if they can't get their truck up there, then they'll just start hiking or hitch a ride of the helicopter or whatever they need to do to get up there. So and there was probably, so there was on that fire, there was probably 50, 50 firefighters on that, on that fire. Mm. And, and from our, our station, we probably had, so we had uh, about 12 from ours. And then the rest were county and the um, federal force service. So mm. those guys are really good. They know what they're doing. They, they train, they go on a lot of fires, not everywhere in the Intermountain West. And so they're really, they're really good with, with what they do. So yeah, it makes me wonder, do you guys do any sort of like interagency training with them to kind of, because Weber County, a, a fairly good portion is up in the Ogden Valley and, you know, we, we butt up against BLM and especially Forest right. Service, National Forest. Like, do you guys do any sort of training with those folks to kind of make that process easier when it's go time? Because time is critical. Yeah, we have uh, we have a Weber County Fire Officer meeting that we meet once a month and, and they come to those meetings all year round. And then we do some tr- training uh, in the fall. And so we're able to get, um, he lets us know when the first, when the fires, before the fire season starts, what resources are available, where helicopters are going to be, all that kind of stuff. So, and then they're always pushing out through text to us. We get a, every day, we get a, a weather report on what the weather's doing, if it's a red flag warning or what's going on that way. And then if it's a red flag warning, we try to be, I try to be proactive here. And I, I put, I put, I put additional crews on during those days just to do patrols through our area. So if we get something, they're already out there driving around. So. So we're always working, working, finding ways to uh, increase our increase our uh, uh, availability to get onto the fire as quick as we can. So, and so uh, to kind of shift gears a little bit, I've been sure. curious about um, fireworks this year because, well, I mean, first of all, you guys, you guys are, do you guys run the whole show when the when the city does get to do a fireworks show? You guys are basically there running the safety, right? Yeah, the, I mean, they're they're always they contract all these shows are you know they're all electronic and they're all done by fire force companies. But our fire marshal will get with them the day that they're going to do them, or and then he'll they have to give us a plan of what they what they're doing, mm-hmm. and what how big of shells they have, and where the where the fallout is, how how big a fallout area it is, and so. I see. Um, and then the day of the fire, he'll go up there and just talk to Mr. Setting up and coordinate all that, all those kind of things. So, mm-hmm. so basically, when it starts, we're just have people in place in case embers get over in the field or go some. We have people on the high school visit Weber High, and we have people in the field and all that kind of stuff. So, mm-hmm. usually, it goes off pretty well without too big of a, a problem. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's always impressive. The one or two times I've ever seen a fire start, like off in one of those fields, you guys are right on it and it you know just take care of it oh yeah in the old days when i started we used to do we used to light them ourselves oh my heavens i was wondering if it was you oh. guys that and, and they, like a perk they, of the they job. couldn't afford a lot of good quality fireworks and man wow. you could hear them come out of the tubes and like you, it was a certain sound man you just hit the deck because they come out of the tubes about four feet and blow up so and everybody would cheer when we get back up and start going again. So <laughs> that's wild, man. It was crazy. Yeah. So sort of reminds me about, so when I was in high school, uh, I read this book called all quiet on the Western front and it was about mm-hmm. German soldiers in world war one. Mm-hmm. And in the book, the guy talks about how you can, you can hear, you can understand where a shell is going to land based on the sound. Right. Oh, yeah. He said, he's like, yeah. and you could always tell the guys that didn't know. He's like, those are the guys that got dead. 
because they didn't understand where to be when you got a certain sound. So it sounds like that's what you guys got. Yeah, we told them. It was our first year. You said, if I go down and you follow, just just follow me down. So (laughs) yeah, yeah. stay alive, man. I'm curious how it's been different this year, because I mean, when you take it out of that city, like my neighborhood was insane with doing their own fireworks that night. I swear four guys did shows as big as the city usually does. So I know. So what we're seeing is there's about a 20% increase in their sales uh of, 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 uh, fireworks. I think because the shows got canceled, obviously. And so, Uh but the, the problem is the lost dates, you can only shoot them like, Two days before the day of, and then one day after is the legal times you can shoot them. For the big aerials? Well, anything. any That's all the stuff that you buy in a tent. Oh, really? Two yeah. days? No, it's, it's two days before, uh-huh. a day of, and then one day after. So oh, really? There's like, there's like a four-day window. Oh. But here's the problem. People think as you, if they're selling them, you can shoot them. So we hear them all the time. I mean, uh-huh. it's hard to, it's hard to catch catch them, too. We can be out on patrol, and I can be a block away, and I can see them going off, and I can get over there, and then everybody's gone. So it's real. You got to really. It's hard to catch to find out who's lighting them. So I bet. And have you have you been able to quantify it at all yet as to if it's resulted in more fires that you've had to go, uh, you know, get called to as a result of the increased fireworks? So when we. For the for those four day four or five days I have we have again we're proactive we have patrols out that are actually extra patrols that take in a truck and they're out there the, from six o'clock at night till midnight oh, just yeah. kind of patrolling and then if they get something and then the rest of the crews are we're out obviously too but it's just added I just added one one more brush truck just in case things get out of hand because we still got to cover all the rest of our calls the medical calls and the fire calls that we get so. But it's, it's it's okay. It works out pretty well. So and most people most people are pretty responsible, you know, with their fireworks. So the main things those cakes. They don't put it. Sometimes they don't put them. Like you should get like a, a cinder block, like four cinder blocks, and put them so and squish them in between those cakes. Because so a lot of times what happens is they'll light them and they'll tip over, and then they'll keep shooting. You know, and that's when we have issues with starting fires across the street of their neighbor's house or getting somebody hurt, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So you talked a little bit about resources earlier and I wondered, you know, it seems like with wildfires, it's, it it can maybe be difficult to gauge how much you need to budget each year for a potential fire. And like you said, you can run out of resources really quickly. And so I wanted to ask, how do you guys anticipate what's going to happen with a wildfire or the potential need for, resources to make sure that you can take care of fires in the city or beyond so for our resources would be just if we had fires it'd be that it would be the overtime for for fighting those fires additional Mm -hmm. people coming back and stuff like that um but um you know when it gets to the when it gets to big enough where the where the feds are in there and they're dropping retardant and they're dropping you know thirty thousand dollar retardant at a time or more so those pri- the, the the price goes up pretty quick about trying to fight these fires, the suppression part of it, and and then I know the governor and the, the state's been pretty, um, you know, they're trying to prevent these preventable fires, and we're doing a pretty good job. But man, there's still a lot that are there. Like this year, I think there's been so far this year there's been like 650 wildland fires, and 540 have been preventable fires. Mm-hmm. So we're still not doing a very good job. 
um, of stopping those preventable ones. So, yeah. And what? Uh, really quickly, John, I was just going to ask, like, what? How? How could they? You know, prevent more of those. Is it? Uh, is it a forestry issue? Is it just educating people more? Like how? As you said as we try to pr prevent more of those and, you know, the governor's office and other larger right. agencies try like how, what, what's their plan? How do they try and, you know, mitigate that cost and that damage? I think the ones you can, the ones are what I could see you could stop, you try to stop it. It's just the educational part of it. Okay. You know, if it's the winds are blowing 30 miles an hour and, you know, it's probably not a good, a good idea to go with light of fireworks, you know, or right. it's not a good idea if you're, if you, if you're, uh, um, if you got a bunch of weeds that you need to be burnt. It's probably not a good day to do those either. So some of those things, and some of the stuff you can't prevent anyway. It's just that, like, um, wind starts. The wind starts blowing, and and um, power lines arc, and then start fires. I know they had the fire down in St. George that they're fighting right now. The one off the freeway, and I guess it started by a, a tire went flat, and they went over on the side and it sparked. You know, this, the the rim sparked a. a ember and started the fire, that fire that's burning down there right now so it's kind of so part life. of it i don't think you can do a lot it's just some of it just comes with the territory but yeah. but definitely there's a piece that we can and we can always um we can always we can always try to do a better job with education educating the public so, so moral of the story is just be smart folks be smart well, about yeah well, it's like this fire up there if, if there's things that i mean if the if if the engineering company, why are they, why are they going up in, why are they not, why are they going up in July of, you know, are the hottest and driest part of the month? Why aren't they going in September or why aren't they, you know, I don't, I don't, maybe they need to be up there. Mm. I'm, I'm just, that's just a rhetorical question, basically. Right. I think if we want to help with these firefighters or wildland fires, we got to look at kind of take a step back and ask those kind of questions to say, do we, yeah, need to, do, we need to, do we need to do some of these things right in the middle of the summer? Can they wait till the fall or the, or the spring? So. Yeah, especially right. when we know, you know, I, I've grown up in Utah. I know yeah. that it don't rain in July, man. <laughs> and it probably doesn't rain in August either. Nope. So anyway, those are things we can try to do. I wanted to talk a little bit about the, the medical part of all of it, because that's really, I mean, the majority of your calls are medical, right? Rather than yeah, fire. About 80, yeah, about 80% of our calls are ambulance medical calls, yeah. So. And so I'm curious if the, um, I'm kind of assuming that the coronavirus doesn't take the same kind of toll on your resources that it does in other medical fields because you're, it doesn't cause so much of that emergency thing. Um, but am I wrong about that? Like, does it cause, is it causing a strain on your resources? Right. It hasn't yet. I mean, the, there's always a potential, obviously. You know, but I think, you know, our population, you know, it's 3 million, 3.2 million people in Utah. And, and I think most of them are doing a pretty good job as far as trying to, you know, do what they need to do to help prevent the spread. But um, so we really haven't seen a lot. And, and I think what we, the, the ERs weren't seeing a lot of other kind of calls either, which was when this, when this first started, which was interesting because, there were guys that they thought if they went to the hospital, that's probably the, they, could, they had a better chance to get the virus there than anywhere else, which mm -hmm. isn't the, the case. Because they've done such a good job with all their, you know, yeah, sanitation know. and decontamination and all that stuff. So right. there was a point where we had to try and go out to the public or, or you know, kind of let, have news reports to say, listen, 
it's, it's okay if you have a broken leg we want you to come to the hospital you know don't don't try to tough it out or don't not call an ambulance because we can still get you help you that you need you know so there's that portion of it right at first and then that kind of helped itself but um we really haven't had um a lot of um in our area a lot of um exposure to that yeah so well, and, and dispatch does a good job so when they get a 911 call they'll look at uh, the breathing calls chest pains those kind of things and they'll kind of they'll kind of um they'll ask questions to try to um tell us if that's a potential COVID call and if it is and then, then we'll ask those same questions to try to get an idea of what if that's really what's going on and so we take a lot of precautions gowns face pieces you know full gowns all that kind of stuff because we don't want to uh, obviously get our guys infected so yeah yeah dave did you guys experience um, a shortage in personal protective equipment when coronavirus really started to take a hold did you guys have that issue or was that kind of a new york and california problem you tell us a little bit we had we had some stuff already in stock some of our masks some of those things but it took a minute for everybody to kind of find out who had what in the county and and then the county got their stuff um that were had um got with the state and then they were able to get um within about within a a, probably a good week and a half everybody had, had had all the stuff they needed so they had the stuff they needed before. They just everybody had the stockpile by by the week and a half, oh, yeah. two weeks after it started. So, so we didn't right, have yeah. any problem with that. So yeah, because I imagine you all, like you said, you all had some stuff. Oh, yeah, we had enough to last us a good month and a half or two months. I think most people had that to start with. So it's good. And then like now we said, have enough for a lot longer than that, which is which is good. So yeah, it is. That's great. Yeah. Uh, I really appreciate you coming on, Dave. Uh, I, I said Chief Wade. I'm sorry. No. no. <laughs> but yeah, and I got to say, no, like, no. I, I moved uh, to North Ogden about two, three years ago. And when I first got here, I was concerned about not being close to the hospital and sort mm-hmm. of what might happen in an emergency. And over the years, I've kind of learned what you guys do and, like, the response time you have, the way that you can handle most things. And uh, it makes me feel very safe. And so I just want to say I really appreciate what you guys do. Right. Thank you very much. Like like I said, I got a really great group of guys that work here and uh, this department is outstanding and and, uh, they do a a great job of providing service to our citizens. So I appreciate that. I'll let them know. Yeah. Thank you. And thanks for joining us and and answering our questions. We really appreciate it. No, no. Thank you for having me on and appreciate appreciate your time. So, yeah. All right. Thank you. And uh, we'll be back in a minute with Pinkies Up, Thumbs Down after this. Ashley Wolthius and the Elements of Real Estate are proud to support the independent local journalism of the Junction City podcast. If you're buying or selling real estate, or if you need a certified residential appraiser, contact Ashley at theelementsofrealestate.com or by calling 801-391-8503. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks again to Fire Chief Dave. I should have just called him Fire Chief, Chief Dave. Chief Dave is really the name. Yeah, that's a cool name. Um Thanks again for coming out. I learned a lot. Yep. Me too. Actually, we all this defund the police stuff. Yeah, let's just give it to them. Uh, no polls this week. So here's gonna. This is what I'm gonna say: is how many of y'all 
think it's okay for there to be carpet in the bathroom. Kobe, I read that status and I was like, what the fuck? Who are there people that actually think that it's okay for there to be carpet in the bathroom? In the 80s, yeah. yeah. It's like a thing. Yeah. Why? We built our house we in the 90s. houses, dude. Yeah, like carpet. What, did in the that, what was that about? They you never just rolled carpet feels so good on your feet. Think about it. you're sitting there on the toilet and no. then you're just rubbing your toes into that soft carpet. Yeah, yeah into all of that carpet oh. covered in fecal matter and yeah urine yay well i mean that's that's like on the back it's under the tank no where your feet are it's oh just my god you don't out of even sight know. out of mind my friends oh god <laughs> anyway that'll be our next poll <laughs> um, fine, but it's a sin that's but we should sin. uh let's move to pinkies up thumbs down i have a here's i'm gonna give a pinkies up because I feel like we didn't do anything for the primaries. Mm, we had, still we still could. This will be it. <laughs> this is yeah. all that we're going to talk about the primary. Pinky's up to the primary. Congratulations to the people that won. Uh, I do have to say, though, we had Darren Perry on the show, and there were just a couple of notes that I wanted to. Uh, I was look because I was so I was looking through his website and I was kind of comparing him and Blake Moore, right? Because that's who's running now. Um, but if I could just talk to only Darren Perry right now, or anybody on his squad, what I would say to him is, "Bro, just say no kids in cages." Right? That should be your immigration stance right now. Is just say no kids in cages, bro. Just say it. Just say no kids in cages. <laughs> Boom done right and then and then at least have something to say about your coronavirus now that's seems it sounds very critical but it's not it's coming from a place of like okay dude let's i want to support you i want to support you let's do this right was that a pinkies up or a thumbs down kobe it was a pinkies in the middle it was a congratulations pinkies up and it was a yeah yeah, yeah it was like a bra. It was like a bra thing, you know. Like hang a, loose, hang loose. All right, this is a new one. That is new. It's a innovation. I had to, I had to pinkies work up I, to yeah, us. I had to work the the pinkies up into uh, the primaries. I mean, the primaries into the pinkies up. So there was mine. That was a good one, man. Really <laughs> <laughs> you could tell when John wants to. I know he's just such a. That's all I've got to contribute. I don't have a pinky up or thumbs down. I didn't think of one. I was busy thinking about Dave Wade. I mean, pinky's up to them. I literally did spend all day that fire day just watching them. It was cool. That is awesome. These guys are real professional. You know what, though, got me was the smoldering part, like staying up there Mm -hmm. with the smoldering smoldering fire. That's, That's wild, man. That's wild. I've hiked up there, not up there, but you know, up in the mountain area. You know and what? I'm sorry. No, go, go ahead. ahead. I no. don't want to cut you off. I was just gonna say it's shit scary, but whatever. Um Rattlesnakes. I, I have to give that I have to give a pinkies up to Mike Lee for meeting with Malik and True. and was it Lex Scott who was there? I don't know who else was there, but but him sitting down, talking to them, hearing out their ideas. Everything Malik said about it made it sound like, you know, he he cared about what they were saying and said he was going to do stuff. So props to him, man. Good job, Mike Lee. 
Oh my God. He gets a good job for that. Doesn't mean I like the guy. Okay. But here's what I'd say to that is Pinky's up to Malik and Lex Scott for getting the meeting. Um, Mike Lee doesn't get anything until he actually does something. Sitting down and listening to people is the bare minimum of his job. He represents (gasps) everybody in Utah. Very true. So until he actually does something, he doesn't deserve a pinkies up in my view. Yeah. Take that pinkies up back, John. No way. A lot of those senators (laughs) are not doing the bare minimum. So he still gets my pinky. Right. Yep. He can have it right up. up. You know what, Kobe? Just go. So I actually like what you said, Dan, about the primaries. Uh, Pinky's up to um, so up? I when I worked in the refugee community down in Salt Lake, I got to know Fatima Deary really well. I always call her Hollywood. She's she's always like my number one fan. So Pinky's up to Fatima Deary down in HD thirty three in West Valley won her primary, and I hope nice. she wins. She's running against Craig Hall down there, and man, I hope she wins. She, Fatima's a great lady. She works really hard in the community. Um, so yeah, Pinky's up to her for winning that primary, working hard and and really turning it around. Um, also, I had um. Pinky's up to uh, – let me go back to my notes real fast because there's always several in my mind. Um, I had uh, – oh, yeah, Pinky's up to Representative John Lewis like we talked about earlier in the show. Um, after watching that documentary, I mean, I, I knew a little bit about, about Representative Lewis and his work in the civil rights movement in the 60s. But after watching that documentary, man, about a guy who really – you know, a guy who was not only a part of the Freedom Ride and the march, you know, from Selma to Montgomery and getting beaten on the Edmund Pettus Bridge, but also as a, a student, at, you know, at, uh, they never really said what school he went to in Nashville, but he was a part of the movement that did the lunch counter protests where they would show up to lunch counters and they would sit there every single day until somebody served them. You know what I mean? Like he was a part of so many critical civil nonviolence um, actions across the United States. He spoke at the the march on Washington in August of 1963, just like truly an amazing person. Um, Pinky's up to, to that guy. And I just, I just love it. But um, also on that note, kind of the flip side of, you know, someone, someone awesome passing away. I, we got a phone call this morning that a super good friend of mine from high school passed away uh, from suicide last night. Oh man. Yeah. That sucks. It really did. And it was really surprising because, you know, this guy was, he was always the kind of person who excelled, at everything he did, whatever he chose to do, he did it well. And so it was truly a surprise to get a call this morning to say, Hey man, um, you know, our good friend passed away from suicide last night. And I was like, I couldn't, I couldn't believe. And so I just, I went and looked up the, the, the national suicide hotline number. And if, you know, if you're a person who's struggling, like call them, man, the number is 1-800-273-8255. Call those folks, stick around, man. You have, you have something to add. You have something to contribute. We, you know, we need you. So please, if you're in that place, Call the number, 1-800-273-8255. Stay with us, man. Mm. Great. Thumbs up. Pinkies up, Kobe. <laughs> um, man, yeah, I don't. I feel like I can't make a joke now. Um, if you want to follow us. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> no, we have upcoming events, dude. Oh, are there uh, events? Yeah, July third, 23rd. Young Dems of America Virtual Lobbying Day. This will be on uh, via virtual. So I'm not sure what this is about, dude. All right, all right, yeah, I'll, explain. Virtual. I'll explain what it is. So 
in 2013, I believe it was, um, the civil, the Supreme Court handed down a ruling that took out key pieces of the, of the Voting Rights Act of 1965. Mm. And immediately, a lot of states moved to suppress the vote through various mechanisms. And so when the Democrats got the gavel back in after the 2018 election, one of the first things that they did was they passed a piece of legislation to restore the Voting Rights Act. Um, and it was, you know, sponsored by Representative John Lewis, who just passed away. And so the Young Democrats of America said that 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 bill has languished in the Senate for 280 plus days or something like that. Like it's pretty much just sat there and the Senate doesn't even want to touch it. McConnell doesn't want to touch it because voter suppression is a key part of the Republican strategy, if we're being honest, in a lot of states. So the, the lobbying on Thursday, July 23rd is to call your senators and encourage them to take a look at this bill to restore the Voting Rights Act. Hey, Colby, did you mention on this show that you were elected in the Young Democrats? He did. Did I? Yeah, it was a while ago. He's up to you, buddy. Yeah, man. For getting that in before you're too old. Secretary of the Young Democrats, uh, we're going to be trying to do some work in the state, trying to grow it. You know, I I truly want it. I truly want to be part of the team that makes it a more of a statewide organization. You know, I want to get more, more chapters and more folks involved Yeah. because, you know, honestly, this sounds really weird and it sounds like a super dumb motivation, but, um, it definitely does. Go ahead. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so when, uh, so about this time last year, the Kingmaker and I were in Indianapolis at the national young Democrats of America conference. And on the Saturday that you elect, we elected a new president, a new executive leadership team, for Young Democrats of America, every state gets to get up and they get like a 60 second spiel about their state, right? Mm. And, uh, you know, there were some really cool ones. Like I remember Texas's was, they get up there and they got a little song and they're all, the, the guy, his name is Colby Duan. He's a really cool guy, he lives in Austin. He got up and he was like, the stars at night are big and bright. And like his whole delegation is all, in the heart of texas and i was like man that is rad we need something like that we need something like that and so the, there was no utah pride at the convention we, huh? we really didn't have anything right what did you guys do the thing oh, we mentioned some cliche things about utah jello green jello and all that dumb crap yeah oh, what? So, so ever since then i i truly have thought about that moment next year when we meet again in at the national convention to hold elections and what is utah going to talk about and sing that texas song no the thing that i was talking what about, about imagine dragons do an imagine dragons song <laughs> what i thought was okay what are we what are we we are like state what uh, right. damn it john is on a roll <laughs> john, you, you recruit john for your young democrats yeah but uh, so the thing is, like, we are the beehive state. The state motto is industry. So what better way to show up in wherever the convention is going to be next year, having grown this, the state chapter so many, you know, percentage points and talk about doing the work, about how we're in a deep red state and we're doing the work. So that's, that's oh. our plan. That's my plan. Oh, my God. Too. You guys should have like a B movie meme. B movie meme. You know, the B movie. Yeah, yeah, get Jerry Seinfeld. Jerry Seinfeld. Get Jerry Seinfeld. Oh my God, do a whole like corn nuts routine. <laughs> yeah, that'll be great. No. The New York delegation would be like, that's our guy, man. Knock it off. Be like, whatever, we're bees, bro. Uh, 
Saturday, July 25th, Weber Democrats Volunteer Saturdays. Are they just doing this every week then? Every day or every yeah. weekend, right? Yeah. Every Saturday? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds like what uh, they've done. 930 they to 1030. From, from Dems Coffee to Volunteer Saturdays. That's cool. I'll cool. probably take my kids. We'll go do this thing. Um, that's it. That's all we have. So if you like the show, please actually go in and like the show on Facebook or follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Go to our YouTube site for more content. You can give us money at Patreon. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a website. There still You're is a website. Damn right. They'll pay for it, yeah. <laughs> You're damn right. <laughs> uh, also, rate us. Rate us five stars. John, what's going to happen if they don't rate us five stars? Uh, I'm going to whisper things in your kids' ears that you don't want them to know about. You're all... <laughs> <laughs> like you know, Brigham Young when, was a racist. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah, there were never horses yeah. in North America. Oh, what? You're gonna shatter some people's minds. Yeah. yeah. So just rate us five stars. <laughs> oh, uh, also and, uh, join yeah. the uh, join the uh, the Junction City Forum. That's our Facebook group. If there is a poll, that's where it will happen. That's where a lot of our conversations off the air happen with the community. Yeah. Tell us what's going on with this carpet. Like, yeah, there, we have some older folks in uh, in the Junction City Forum. What were you all thinking about when you decided to put carpet in the bathroom? <laughs> I don't even know what's going on here. I'm out Hard of hitting issues. Hard hitting issues. You got to follow Kobe's stuff. Kobe and Maddie are great on social media. I follow Kobe. Well, you got to like actually read his stuff. It's pretty good. I feel like I don't post a lot, but when I do, it's usually like my thoughts of like. Maddie's got some gold. Maddie's got some gold. Maddie, Maddie does got <laughs> some gold. She's good. All right. Well, you know, like we say every week, all politics is local. <laughs>